Welcome to Be The Difference. Presented by Back to Back Ministries, continuing to be a voice for orphan and vulnerable children all around the world. We share stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. I'm Sammy Summerlin. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. I'm still the same. <laughs> Chris, who are we talking to today? We are going to have a discussion with a couple of our really close friends, but real movers in the community over the last 20 plus years, Matt and Julie Cooper. So Matt Cooper is the director of staff care at Back to Back Ministries. That is just one of the many titles he's held in his time on staff. And his wife, Dr. Julie Cooper, is the senior vice president of curriculum and training at Trauma Free World, which is a sister organization of Back to Back. We spoke to the president of Trauma Free World, Rob Hall, a few weeks ago. Um, And so Julie, alongside Rob, they lead Trauma Free World, which is the trauma-informed care training efforts of Back to Back. In this episode, we are going to begin a conversation with Matt and Julie, but our conversation was so rich that it actually takes two parts. So we're going to ask you to stay all in on part one, and we're going to bring you back for part two that shares the next phase of Matt and Julie's journey as they navigate so much richness in their story in this particular episode we're going to ask you to listen for three things the first is to listen for where matt and julie's relationship began the context the type of community that they had with one another second we want you to listen to their really different vantage points on foster care when they started a conversation around that being part of their story and then third Listen to their responses when we discuss uh, stereotypical or historic gender roles, especially in the context of uh, being missionaries, uh, living in different places. So you two have been in ministry, what, over 20 years now at this point. You've lived abroad. You've lived in different cities in a different country. You've adopted children, fostered teens, learned new languages, earned advanced degrees. We now have Dr. Julie Cooper here. And those are just like a few of the little highlights along Mm -hmm. the way. You've had an incredible story together, but can you take us back to when your story together started? So how did you two meet? We met in high school. We were part of the same friend group. Cooler than how we actually met is that because we were both in the same friend group, this friend group happened to be the youth group kids. So our friends were starting to kind of invite us to youth group functions. And we went to the same youth group function on the same night and accepted Christ on the same day. Wow. March. It's a very great day. I'm about to remember the date. March 24th. (laughs) 1991. Yeah, 1991. And at that time you weren't dating. You were just in the same friend group. That's That's right. right. I was off limits because of someone else that might have liked me. Yeah. Right. So it started with that. But yeah, since March 24th, 1991, like literally, it's like God started just such a unique friendship. Like we both had this unique experience of growing up in families that did not go to church. And all of a sudden we had this story unfolding of like, oh my gosh, like, what do we do now? How do we figure this out together? So we actually became very good friends since that point in time. How important do you think that has been in your relationship playing out that it started at this 
friendship level and then was able to deepen first before the maybe romantic pursuit. You know, it's interesting. Some folks ask us, you work together, you've worked together forever. And I think because we were such good friends before we ever dated, we have always liked to do everything together, actually, Mm -hmm. and doing ministry together. Uh, Actually, we wouldn't have dated if we both wouldn't have been on the same page. Like we are going to go into full-time ministry together. And so it's actually really sweet that the Lord set that up for us in such a way that we've enjoyed every day of ministry together since then. Even before we went into full-time ministry, we worked at a community mental health center together and lots of people would say, how you work together? Like, do you mm. like that? Why do you, and we're like, we can't actually imagine spending so much of our day apart from one another. Like we've always enjoyed being able to be in the same spaces and working and serving together. Yeah, I'm impacted by the list of things that Sammy mentioned that the two of you have participated in adventured together with over the years and it led me to the like on one of these early dates did you just list all of those things (laughs) out as like the checklist of this is what will make us a successful couple is if we live in all these countries launch all these projects get all these degrees deepen all these family opportunities was that intentional or was that a a journey well, probably intentional on my part. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I talked about all of those things and I'm sure I was like, okay, hold on. For example, when we were just dating, I made a comment about someday when we adopt children. Mm. And he looked at me like, why would we do that? <laughs> yeah, we like, don't what? even know if we can have kids yet. And mm. I went, I don't re- recommend this, but I went into a big tirade about have you not read the Bible and what it says in the book of James? You know, I was very kind of self-righteous about it, which is not good. Um, and he said, just pray for me. And so we, we prayed through it. And of course we didn't end up adopting children. So, but I left thinking, I left her apartment that day thinking, oh, maybe we shouldn't get married. Like, how do you, how do you actually mm-hmm. come to the middle of this? She wants to adopt. I don't like, what, what would you mm. do with that? But I think there's lots of things like that along the way that God has, God works them out. It's interesting because my next question was, when did like vulnerable children enter the picture? Like that was a passion. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that was first for Julie and then later for you. And how did God write that into each of you? Lots of things are first for Julie. (laughs) Is that a theme? It is a theme. It is a theme. I wrote my first report on child abuse in fourth grade. I've always wanted to work with vulnerable children, even before we were believers. Maybe you would say it was when we first started actually working at that community mental health center. Yeah, right before we got married, Julie actually kind of, um, her first job out of college was working at a... Residential treatment center. Yeah, treatment center. And then after we got married, my sister was a psych nurse at a community mental health center. We both ended up working there because we decided to go back to school, get our master's in ministry. And uh, my worldview was torn apart like it was just ripped wide open i literally i'm embarrassed almost today to say that i didn't know what a foster child was i was like 22 years old and had never interacted with people who had had their children taken from them because they couldn't care for them or had a conversation with a teen who had lived in 14 different homes because Mm. their life had been a mess and it was actually sort of through that process that God started to break my heart. And I, you know, probably answering Julie's prayer of let's adopt someday, 
that first step was becoming foster parents. And so all of a sudden I was like, we, we should be foster parents. Like they need good families. They need families who love God and would do this with right motives. So that was sort of part of that trajectory of where my heart started changing along the way. Can you expound a little bit on why choose the word embarrassed there, even just about thinking about, you know, like an aha moment? Yeah, it was an aha moment. I think just I found myself in this space where it was, this was normal conversation for the other people who uh, were in social work and who were nurses. And all of a sudden I was in this fear I had never crossed over. Mm. And so it was all new information to me. So just to admit, like, I, I've never considered this i my life has never i've never rubbed shoulders with people who have these stories that's powerful i think i think it <clears throat> reminds us that we can learn new information and have to process our own past at the same time absolutely kind of like, why did my journey not allow me to see through this lens and now what do i do about it now that i'm here mm -hmm. right right and i think that's what got started stirring in that season mm, and so yeah. our work continued in that field we did become licensed as foster parents and yeah just not things that we ever talked about while we were dating probably because i wasn't even ready to have those conversations but you were julie i was yes since the fourth grade <laughs> so the did fourth. that first experience as foster parents like meet your expectation was it different than you expected you were young you had just recently gotten married you were in school too right we had finished school we graduated mm -hmm. and we had just had our first birth child so our, okay. our oldest birth daughter was four months when we got our first placement of a seven-month-old little girl and her six-year-old brother and so all of a sudden we were like what do you do with a six-year-old like, yeah that seemed old at the time which is very funny mm. you know sam you asked if it met my expectations no. And when I do trauma training, I share this all the time because I just feel like everybody needs to know now. I had this feeling that God had called me to this mm. and therefore he would equip me. In my mind, I thought that equipping was just like this magical. I would just wake up and know everything I needed to know. Right. Kind of like when you we moved to Mexico and I'm like, God, I just want to wake up and know Spanish, but not have to learn it. It was the same with working with kids from these difficult histories. I thought love would be enough. I thought what I had learned about parenting kids from healthy backgrounds would work with parenting kids from unhealthy backgrounds and it was not the same and it really mm. rocked my world. I really, at that point, had this realization or had to, had to figure this thing out. I thought either I heard God wrong, like I was not actually called to this because I'm not doing a good job, or I was called to it, but there's something wrong with me like I'm not capable. And it was learning about the impact of trauma that helped me realize there's nothing wrong with these children inherently. There's nothing wrong with me. They just need special care because of what their past has done. And that equipping doesn't happen instantly. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It has to be intentional. It takes time, it's intentional, it's trial and error, and it's times you never figure anything out. But at least you understand the meaning behind behavior that before you were attributing either to my own failure or somehow their failure. And it's really neither of those things. And it's also, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, it's not a reason not to say yes, because 
you're never really fully prepared. Like nope. You, you don't know until you see it. That's right. You, you, there is some level of experiencing it, and that's what I hear from that illustration is mm-hmm. that God can call, and I'm not ready. Yes. And he will still make, like, he'll illuminate that path when it's yep. time. Because I might not be teachable until it's actually a situation in mm-hmm. my house Absolutely. with a six-year-old that I'm like, oh, you matter so much now. Now I, I can see it from a different perspective. Yep. How did that first experience lead to this transition season to where you end up in Monterey mm-hmm. um, after that? How do you go from this starting journey and then you land in Monterey, Mexico, not too long after that? Right. Yeah, it, it was sort of two things happening at the same time. Like we were already feeling called to international mm-hmm. ministry, but just were unsure of the timing of that. And so actually all of a sudden... We're foster parents, but we're actually starting to plan to move to Mexico as well. And in that sense, it's all happening at the same time. And even in the midst of that, we started to think like, well, we will raise our support. And at the point that um, they're going back to their biological family, we will move on to Mexico. But even there, God had a different story where we ended up adopting that little girl who came to live with us and a younger brother who after his birth came to live with us and we couldn't wrap it up in a way that we wanted to. It's literally, I look back and I think God just kept everything on the tracks because it doesn't even, doesn't even fully make sense when I look mm-hmm. back how it happened. From the time we were dating, we had this sense that we would end up in something international. Um, mm-hmm. So that was part of that. Hey, are we serious about staying together and getting married? Because I think I'm going to end up in another country someday. And her saying, yeah, me too. So you do move to Mexico. So we moved to Mexico. But at that point, you have three children? Four children? Four. Yeah, so I mentioned this seven-month-old little girl that came to live with us. Um, about a year later, we find out birth mom is expecting again, and we found out we were expecting again. So at the time that our second birth child was born, we then had two foster placements and two birth children, 25 months and under, all four of them, four in diapers, two double strollers. Everywhere we went, people looked at us, at us like we were absolutely crazy. And maybe we were. <laughs> Sounds and, like a great time to move yeah. to another country where you don't speak the language. A year later, we moved to Mexico. <laughs> and yeah. about how old are the two of you even in this? We were about 30 at yeah. the point that we moved to Mexico. Mm-hmm. We moved to Mexico and told our family we we're going, we want yeah. to work with orphans, you know, and they're like, you are already working with orphans and there's plenty of yeah. orphans here, right? But obviously when God has a specific call on your life, you you want to answer that call. It's not that there aren't orphans and being a foster parent in the United States isn't awesome. He just had something different for us. Mm-hmm. You've said that word call a couple of times. What does that feel like for each of you? Mm. For me, call aligns greatly with passion, which I think is so so sweet of the Lord to give me passions and then allow those passions to come to fruition. So for me, answering a call has always felt like this incredible sense of passion, Mm. moving towards open doors and God guiding me towards the right open door. Mm. So that's, it's always been super clear for me that way. Mm -hmm. I think the first call that I felt to international ministry was actually during a crew trip, um, During college, we had the opportunity to visit Albania, 
And while we were there, I just remember sensing the joy of the Lord. Like, it just feels like he is smiling on this. And like, I, I don't want to leave this. I actually called my parents who were not believers at the time from Albania and said, I love it here. I don't want to come home. And they were like, you are coming home. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's partly that like sensing the joy of the Lord. But then I also sort of in that season before we moved to Mexico, we had done a, a Blackaby study called Knowing God. And I just remember that a big theme from that was just look for God at work and join him there, you know? And so that's kind of what it felt like the next steps were always just look for God at work and join him there. And so we were feeling this call to ministry. We ended up visiting Mexico to um, see our friends, Todd and Beth Guggenberger when they were living there. And when we got there that whole week, just thinking, I see God at work and I see how we can join him here. Yeah. The right it's, this is an international missions it's within orphans and vulnerable children. And it definitely, it felt like God was like, and this is it. And this it felt like something is the space. that we could do together. Like that, it was important for us ever since our dating days that when we did ministry, it would be something we could both do. Hmm. Yeah, I love that the words that you described between the two of you for calling are passion and joy hmm. and how they're related and yet can be identifiably different. And I think that can bring a lot of us listening, um, that affirmation to look for one of those. It could be the joy of the Lord. It can be a passion for what the Lord is, is after in response to that passion and joy though. I'm sure it all went smashingly well, right? Like you made the move, everything just goes easy. Or was there right. a moment even early on in that shift to Monterey that you started to ask those questions of like, were we right? Is this, yeah. is this work for us? I'll even back up a few months before we moved. I actually came to a big kind of crisis of faith moment where support raising was not going well. Mm. I was super discouraged and was ready to give up in the sense of this is really hard. I actually see God at work in my local church and I think we could stay here and also plug in here, which looking back, I actually think God gave us you know, that space to be able to make either decision. Choice, yeah. But, you know, in that time, we actually had a connection call with Todd and Beth and they were saying, hey, March is coming. This was Super Bowl weekend. They were like, March is coming. We have a really crazy March. Do you think you could get here by March? And I'm thinking, there is no way. Like, it's the end of January. But we we prayed and I just said, okay, Lord, what what, what are you doing? What do you want us to do? And I actually really felt like he said to me, you know, again, not an audible voice, but just felt this, like, don't, don't doubt the call that I've placed on you. Like I spoke to you in a time of light. And even though you're in a time of darkness, don't forget what I said in the light. Mm. And so we put our house up for sale, reached out to everyone who was not following through and said, we want to move in six weeks. We believe that God wants us there. And literally things just fell into place in a supernatural way where the first person that looked at our house bought it. We sold our car. We you know, just started giving things away. And like six weeks later, we were moving to Mexico. But again, I wanted to quit along mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once we got to Mexico, again, expectation versus reality, because I had wanted to be an international missionary for so long, I had made this expectation of, I don't even know, like rainbows and unicorns and I don't know. And I got there and I remember thinking, 
Yep, I'm a stay-at-home mom with four babies in Mexico, just like I was a stay-at-home mom with four mm. babies in Indiana. Like, mm. all I did was move to another country where I don't speak the language. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's all part of the transition. It was all part of the transition. I mean, looking back, it's such a beautiful time of ministry. We ended up having two more children in Mexico, so we have six. They loved being a part of the ministry our experiences there, foster parents. I mean, it was all, it was hard, but just such a rich, awesome time for us. Yeah, and I think even the the first, um, I remember one of the first big staff meetings we had after we moved there, and we were putting together this list of everything that needed to happen before the busy summer season. And I'm looking at the whole list thinking, I, I can't do any of those things. Like, <laughs> what do I, what do I have to offer? Like, God, I thought you wanted me to come. And I'm like, I raised my hand to like help design the summer t-shirt and something else. I can't remember thinking like I raised support and moved to Mexico to design the summer t-shirt, you know, but I, I literally, you know, I, I look back and I just think it's, it's like the yes, Lord, I'm in. Like, I'll just, I'll raise my hand for what I can do today. Like my Spanish might not be at the level that I need it to be yet, but I'll just continue pressing in, you know, but yeah, those first Several months were hard. It just it feels like I have so much to offer, or I thought I did, and now what does it look like? How does it plug in here? Because mm. you did raise your hand and say yes, also to being uh, foster parents or house parents mm -hmm. to eight teenage boys in addition to your six children. That's right. So what was that expectation versus reality, and yeah. what did you learn from parenting teenagers? I always say, like, as I look back at that saying, yes, like God and his sovereignty and his kindness, like I never would have said yes to that before we moved there. Like I just would have said, no way, I, I can't do that. But, you know, again, it's like you say yes to this today, a month from now, you say yes to whatever's before you. And eventually that saying yes to that made sense. Um, so even though it was scary, I think going into that season, like, we look back on it as a, a beautiful season, hard, mm. but, um, you know, eventually great fruit and great relationships and just saw God work in many ways. But I don't know if you want to speak to the, the difficulty or the hardness of it. I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it wasn't like we had some hardship during that time, but it wasn't, it wasn't the kids in our house. Mm. It was, it was more, how do we balance our other ministry responsibilities with all the kids in our house. Mm -hmm. um, and because at that point, the HOPE program, all of our house parents also had multiple other roles. Um, and now, you know, the ministry has grown a lot wiser about that position. So um, that we loved being with the boys, but we were also captains and we also mm -hmm. took care of summer staff and I planned food. And I mean, it was all of those compounded things that I think were leading us rapidly on a road to burnout. Um, during that season in life until mm -hmm. God really came in and stepped in and um, frankly saved us from crashing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to ask about that, like mm -hmm. that in a second. I, there is one thing that I've heard from both of you in the beginning is that the pressure sounded like it's coming from like historical focus on gender norms that I now see like both of you seem to have really broken out of those but I hear like mm -hmm. moving to Mexico and I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom moving to Mexico and here's the list of all the things they expect of me as uh -huh. a man that I don't even know that I know what to do with those 
Has that been part of your story over time where you felt like we're on the journey of figuring out who we are and how God wired us and that pressure of norms to get out of those in order to be who God's called you to be? Gosh, I think, I mean, I'll just speak even to our marriage. Back when we were first getting married, the kind of books that were out and the kind of things people were saying, I remember, and there's nothing wrong if this is how women roll, but I remember someone saying to me like, you know, make sure the table is set when your husband gets home from work. That way he comes in and he's encouraged by the prospect of dinner and all these kinds of things. And as a woman with a career, I'm thinking, I hope he makes dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> some of those some of those yeah. norms when we first got married, trying to figure out like, wait, does it need to look like it looked for our parents right. or our grandparents? Figuring that out. But also even personality wise, you know, the whole concept of a man being a leader and the sometimes early on that would feel to Matt like he had to make decisions that he honestly actually didn't care about <laughs> you know like he's he's more laid back and he like make every decision like uh figuring that out was actually so sweet for us to be like oh my gosh that that's not actually how God intends for a man and a woman to be together that if if I make decisions faster and it's easier for me hallelujah that can take some pressure off him mm-hmm. um that figuring all that kind of stuff out was actually really important for us going back to being house parents um even how we were house parents i think was a great testimony of partnership for our boys uh, i remember one day i asked one of the boys in our house to sweep the porch and he kind of threw the broom back at me and told me it was women's work and um he grew up I mean, grew up that way with this machismo right. feel and to have Matt be able to step in and be like, Hey, actually that's, that's not the case. Like we partner together. We both take care of kids. They would see Matt change diapers. We both work in the kitchen. I, I think even being able to give just kind of a good overview of what it looks like to partner together in a home was a really cool thing that was just kind of going on behind the scenes when we were mm-hmm. house parents too. Yeah. I remember that being a joy too. Like, watching their the, the paradigm shift for them of wow you can be friends with your spouse like you serve each other you can actually both do different things that we didn't know men could do that and women could do that mm-hmm. um, and they would even say to me like so is being married cool like is it mm-hmm. you know like and to be able to actually say yes like when you marry the right person, right? When you get married for the right reasons, like mm-hmm. when you're seeking God for that wisdom. And so I even just loved watching, you know, those sparks go off in yeah. their own minds as yeah. they watched that happening in our house. Mm-hmm. And to see them engage with our younger kids and and really like almost help parent or big brother our younger kids and mm-hmm. um, participate in mealtime. Yeah, that was a great season. Take us to that moment that you were just alluding to, Julia, of we almost burn out. Like we almost like what is that and what happened and what would, what turned the, the ship in that direction towards sustainability? So the background, I mentioned we were doing all these different things. It was summer, which is a super crazy season. And honestly, I, I look back and I think, number one, clearly I was too busy doing for God mm. and not being with God enough. Number one, by far. And number two, I was really just missing time with my husband. Um, every couple is different. You know, some couples, like, you can they can work hard, barely talk for several days. 
we're really not like that. Probably just because we're, we've been friends for so long. We process everything. We parent together. I think I was really just missing him. And I was starting to feel like ministry was actually becoming kind of a barrier to our marriage and to our family. And we had always said, we do not want being in full-time ministry. You hear stories of kids who they almost have a, a distaste for ministry because they saw their parents in ministry, maybe giving more to others than they are to their own families. Mm. We're like, that will never be us. If that's us, we're going to walk away. And I was starting to feel a little bit of that takeover. So my mom happened to be in town. I put all my kids in the car with my mom and I told Matt, I'm driving to Indiana. This is from Monterey. So this is like a multiple day drive. I'm driving to Indiana with my mom and uh, I'll see you when you get here after summer. <laughs> which was a couple weeks out. Yep. Yeah. Which was a couple weeks out. Yeah. So I had pretty bad attitude about it. However, even then, God is so kind. Uh, I'll let Matt carry on the story. But even then, God had already been working out how he was going to mm -hmm. intervene into this into the situation. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm trying not to panic. Right. <laughs> We still have mission teams visiting. We have 18 age boys. And yeah, in a couple of weeks, I had plans that I would be um, in Indiana as well. But I remember waking up on a Sunday morning and just feeling this sense of this church that I should visit. And we had been there before for a concert, but I'd never been there on a Sunday morning. And so I wake the boys up a little bit earlier because it's a little further away. And I tell them, hey, we're going to um, Prince of Peace church this morning and they're like oh that's so far away why are we going there and we get there and literally it was just one of those days where i needed god to speak to me and i didn't even know it mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the service they had invited people to come up for prayer and i'm at the front and all of a sudden this pastor who i've never met is telling me hey you're dry bones and you know you cannot Pour life out of dry bones, but God wants to breathe new life into you. And it happened that day. Like revival came to me, to our marriage, to our household, um, in a way that we really needed it to. And and part of it was also that that shift of perspective of I need to be taking care of myself. I need to be prioritizing my marriage, or I cannot do all these things that God has called me to do. Hmm. Yeah, I, he when he got to Indiana. Um, I remember right away we had this conversation. He told me, he's like, we got to visit this church. Like, we got to go to this church. And the first day I went there, I had a similar experience. The pastor's wife actually came, was praying over me, like literally just reading my mind. Um, so the Lord was really just kind in that season mm -hmm. of allowing us to refocus on him, get excited about even why we're doing what we're doing again not going through the motions, but just reignite that passion and really lit fire in our house. Our boys really started um, coming alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, I just look back to it as a season of God reminding me like, this is the well, like I am the well, like come to me and drink or you will be thirsty. And so just the reminder of going to God's word and spending time in his presence, like, we cannot do this work without that. So you have this renewal, this revitalization in your house, this turn away from what could have ended in burnout. Mm -hmm. And then when does Cancun enter the conversation? <laughs> How does that come up as you have this renewed passion for where you are? Sammy, before we book our flights to Cancun together <laughs> uh, in this next part of Matt and Julie's story, 
you and I thought it would be wise for us to pause and just reflect on what we've experienced from their transparency so far. What's one thing that you heard in that first piece that is really still standing out with you now? I think it was this idea of their friendship. They came back to it several times in this first part of the conversation. They'll return to it in the second part of our conversation. But the way that their relationship was built on such a deep friendship and the way that carried them throughout different seasons, I think, I mean, it speaks to me about how important community is in whatever we're doing, whether that's being the difference in the lives of others, moving to another country, serving our community around us, that that relationship and that relational foundation of friendship with the person you're doing this alongside whether that's a marriage relationship or not, or just a workplace relationship, mm. how key that friendship is, that that's, that was really a foundation for them. And that's been true throughout their narrative. We, mm-hmm. we won't even really expose this part in either one of the podcasts that we talk about with them, but Matt and Todd have been best friends for yeah. you. Like that, that's yep. part of the DNA of Matt and Julie. And mm-hmm. I've climbed a mountain in Monterey with Julie and Beth and watching their relationship in front of me, I thought these are these are just people who really know how to friend well, mm-hmm. and I think that that's one important part. Well, it makes a difference when things get hard. Yes, which we yeah. just heard them talk about a season where things felt dry. Yeah, where that friendship was almost starting to break apart, and that that was such a priority to them that it wouldn't. Yeah, I am glad that you brought that up as what stood out to you because with with that, I think that an important piece of that is that they can view love for one another through a friendship side mm-hmm. as opposed to starting us off with an attraction or a romance side. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important um, for us. I don't know if you heard, but you just got married. And <laughs> I, I mean, think, I did, yes. Yeah, I, mean, I have a husband. <laughs> I wondered if you were picking up on that because probably you were navigating that a little yeah. bit of like, I see us in this and I see the hope for us in mm-hmm. this. Yeah. yeah, I would hope that like we keep saying to people, we just genuinely like hanging out with each other. Yeah. And so I think it was fun to hear that 20, they're, Matt and Julie are celebrating their 27th wedding anniversary this week. 27 years later, they just keep saying, we just like hanging out with each other. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, for me, the, the takeaway I had from this first part of the discussion was really listening to Matt's tension in his voice around the follower piece hmm. and mm-hmm. the unsatisfied piece is that, he even he mentioned the statement that stood out to me of like, yeah, Julie usually goes first. Mm-hmm. And that stood out to me in the first part of the conversation. It's a teaser for us because Matt revisits that a lot in the second piece. And we want you to come back and listen to that. So I'm going to leave you on that. It's what stood out to me. But it's also something that I can't wait for you to hear how Matt builds out and how Julie and he collaborate around that idea that early on in their season, one had seemingly arrived at some conclusions or some places first Mm -hmm. and matt seemingly was a little content of helping on that journey i can't wait for you to hear the shift yeah listen for that listen for how they ended up in cancun and then ultimately at this point julie's been to 40 countries so listen to part two to figure out how they got there and we'll see you on the next episode